Okay, we're live. Brent Leary. It's uh what's this uh Wednesday? Wednesday. This is the this is the first live stream for me of the week. It feels like man, it seems like I should have done about four or five by now, but hey, <laughs> it is what it is. Thank you for joining me. This is the BBC, not the British guys, it's the Brent Broadcasting Channel here. You kind of know that. But I'm really excited to have my first guest of the week, Mr. Derek Anderson, who is the co-founder and CEO of Bevy. Derek, thank you for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am grateful <laughs> to be here with you this morning and just take these off. I've been I've been rocking the shades all week, so we'll try yes. and try and go. We'll go eye to eye here for my first virtual eye to eye meeting of the week. Yeah. So, you know, I, we had talked a couple of weeks ago and I thought I was going to start off with, you know, commenting on that really nice background you have with all the, the, the stuff up there. I thought I was going to like drop the little hint about the shoe game because you got a sneaker collection that's like goes for days. But then you show up with a little bit of eye issue here. Uh, would you care to explain what's going on with that? Sure. I, I have a disease known as ultra competitivism and uh, it manifests in lots of terrible ways throughout my life. But one of those is that I refuse to lose to my children at anything. And if it's dunk basketball, you know, I'm like Hakeem Olajuwon. Uh, and <laughs> if it's pickleball, you know, I'm whoever, whoever their Michael Jordan is, that's who I am. So uh, anyways, I was playing tag with my kids on Sunday and um, I went around a corner going, thinking I was, you know, 18. And uh, my legs just went, whoop. And I just, my face uh, and shoulder just went, boom, smashed into the gravel. So, oh, uh, and I woke up to my seven-year-old um, looking at me in the face and yelling, you're like a war dad. Like, <laughs> war dad? Okay, yeah, I guess that's my new brand. It's the War Dad. So, um, anyways, so that's that's me. That's that's what you that's what you get. So try not to stare. So uh, to quote somebody who I won't name the name of the person, your mind was telling you yes, <laughs> but the body just you know, the body kind of, no. okay, man. It's all good. We've all been there before, unfortunately, and <laughs> get there a lot more often now and. Yeah. It is what it is. But hey, man, I'm just glad that you're off the injured reserve and you're able to have this conversation this morning. I'm here. So, man, I've been I've been really looking forward to this. Um, we have a mutual friend, Scott Wilder. Shout out to Scott for putting us together. Uh, great guy. And I've been I was talking to him about, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in all these virtual event platforms. You know, I, I you know, go to a lot of virtual events now, like everybody else. Uh, I'm a CRM guy, I'm a customer experience guy, and you can just see the, you know, the synergies between what CRM has been with sales and service marketing and now commerce, and also, you know, this whole idea of events and we have to do digital events and that provides an opportunity to connect all this great event happenings back into the CRM and customer experience stuff. So I've been, you know, look, talking and, and, and checking out a whole bunch of platforms. And then I heard about you guys. And then Scott said, yeah, well, I, I actually happen to co-founder. I was like, great. So I, and then and then like that was enough. I, I wanted to learn more about what you guys do and how you do it. But then I went to your website 
and I saw the story about, you know, your investors and advisors and, you know, the, the whole idea of you wanting to have diversity and inclusion. So I really wanted to talk to you. I want to talk to you about both of those things. We're going to we're going to start with the business first and then we're going to get into, you know, kind of the diversity and inclusion uh, that you have really put at the, the, the foundation of the business. And we're also going to have somebody who's a part of that to talk about it. But first, tell me how you got going with Bevy. I, I know it kind of came out of your startup grind uh, business and the way that you build uh, communities around startups. But how did that transition to what you're doing with Bevy? Yeah, so Bevy is a virtual and in-person uh, platform that helps companies build their communities through events. And uh, we started it through, as you mentioned, a, a community that I helped create called Startup Grind. And that started as a, just a, like a meetup, essentially, in my office here in Silicon Valley. And over the course of four or five years, very naturally uh, and organically grew from one chapter to hundreds of chapters. And in the process of that, like we, you know, my co-founder is a full stack engineer and we were always building tools to try to scale because we frankly, like the business model for startup grind is, is events, which as people in the events industry know, is not the greatest business model in the world. So we, we really couldn't hire a lot of people. We had to automate as much as possible. And uh, and so, you know, we we were using all these tools off the shelf. And then finally, when we got to be in, you know, 150 cities, the the noise from the organizers started to get so loud because they were so upset with the tools that we were using. So I looked at any everything in the market. I couldn't find anything that solved more than about 60% of our problem. And then we just embarked on building a tool really just for startup grind, no customer feedback, no, you know, we just, we knew what we wanted. We built that. It took us uh, about a year to launch with three engineers and, and myself. And, uh, and then we launched it and our growth at startup grind started to take off again. And then uh, I just started showing the product to other enterprises and Atlassian became one of our first customers. And um, and we realized that, hey, if Atlassian will use this product, we don't even have a website or a name or anything. Uh, we must have something special. And so then we we spun it out into a new product and uh, in a new company. And that was about four years ago. Um, and we split the teams. And then since then, uh, we've raised about $60 million. We run communities for companies like Salesforce and Google and Snowflake um, and many others. And, um, you know, just just trying to help sort of bring belonging to people uh, inside of the products and tools that they love. So you basically started out really around fostering a community and events, of course, help to bring that community together and bring it to life. How? How do you compare and contrast what you know, kind of these the other ways that these virtual platforms are being built? Because it seems like you guys started in a different way. You started to support local events, and you know started to do this. I guess the hybrid model of you know taking pieces of the that community, you know, local and then also virtual to kind of keep connected over uh, digital and you know off offline, so to speak. So how does how do you think the you know how does that compare contrast to what we've been seeing with some of these purely virtually uh, platforms that are just focused purely on that 
where you guys kind of combined both of these worlds. Yeah, I mean, we we really were exclusively in person before COVID, and we would host hundreds, sometimes thousands of events a month, a month for companies, individual companies. Um, but you know, it's it's in cities around the world, people getting together, and and when COVID hit, all of those communities uh, shifted towards hosting virtually. And I think what what I learned as a community organizer of Startup Grind is that, you know, our mission has always been to educate every entrepreneur and startup in the world. And we were sort of anti-virtual before COVID. But what I realized is that actually the mission that we have is not even possible without virtual. Like there's no way we can have a Startup Grind chapter in literally every city in the world. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense to do that. Like, but with virtual, like we can, we can sort of, you know, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, bring people together in different places, and that we don't have to have, we don't have to sort of do the model that we had had. We, we, there's such an easy way for us to expand it. Um, and so, uh, so I think, I think other communities found the same thing, and so it was natural for us. They were a lot of them were just linking out to Zoom. Um, and so we just said, hey, let's just connect the dots for you. Let's make it easier, better user experience. And we put virtual on top of the sort of event infrastructure that we had. And, you know, and I think now like Startup Grind hosted 17 in-person events last month, um, you know, uh, versus like we did probably 275 virtual events. Um, so and before COVID, we did, you know, 300 in-person events a month. So it's slowly starting to sort of come back and swing back a little bit. Um, but I think the reality is like communities need to be flexible to what works best for them and, and whatever their community members want. And so virtual is now a new tool that they can put in that arsenal and people are more accepting of it than, than they were before February of 2020. How do you think being a, more of a community focused company originally how do you think that benefited you in, in the Bevy platform by having that as a foundation versus, you know, starting at virtual and, and not having that real local community uh, focus? Events, and hopefully anybody watching this can relate to this. If you've been to an event or many events, for sure you've experienced this. Events are oftentimes very transactional. You know, it's um, it feels like, you're being sold to. It feels like, um, you know, you're being marketed to when you go to these, uh, you, you know, company driven events. And um, and the reality with a community is that, well, so first of all, the most powerful form of marketing is word of mouth. Like it, it doesn't cost anything. Um, it's, you know, friends. It's, it's not a sales person driven sale. Um, so people can trust it more, um, you know, and so if you sort of take word of mouth and you apply that to a customer base, like how do you get your customers to speak on your behalf and tell other prospective customers and other, and other people that are already using the product, but not using as much that they should use it in this way, right? Like when you hear from a customer about something, you just, you automatically let your guard down. And so, um, so, so building a community in that way is so much more impactful uh, you know, having your customers host events for you, having your customers lead with the message for you. And Bevy is all about having those sustained 
long-term customer-driven experiences. So instead of you know the field marketing team just hosting a single event and then that's it, you know, flying into Dallas and then flying out, like we have a community on the ground there. And and you know, the brand doesn't have a hundred percent control over it. But if you have a good brand, a good product, like you don't need it. Like let let the people run with it. And so a lot of the virtual conference products that we compete against are really just focused on hosting one great virtual event, which is fine. Um, but it's not, in our experience, it's not the most valuable thing for users, which the most valuable type of events are the ones that are driven through the community and driven by the community. Uh, and and it happens 365 days a year. It doesn't just happen one day a year and then you leave and you, you push people back to it the next year. It's happening constantly uh, every week, every month of the year. The other thing about you know, good old fashioned face to face events. It's the networking. I, you know, I, I, you know, I've been to these huge events, you know, like 160,000 people or whatever. They got uh, like 23 tracks. And, but the thing I think I like best, you know, I like going to the keynotes because that's where you get like the overall, you know, you, you, everything's condensed and, you know, you get the, the big messages. And then the next thing I like is, you know, hanging out. <laughs> you, you, you go into the networking events. You're in the the hallways. You see somebody, uh, maybe you you've never met face to face, but now you get a chance to meet, and so you're like, hey, let's let's set up a time and actually talk. That's one of the elements that's is really hard to replicate uh, with the some of these virtual event platforms. But having your background, have you found that challenge to be a little easier to pursue or easy to handle versus? a pure play like virtual platform? Yeah, you know, that I totally agree. I mean, uh, for Startup Grind, one of our values is to make friends, uh, not contacts. And, you know, so networking and really building deep relationships is is a core part of any great community. You can certainly do it online, right? We've seen, I mean, Twitter's a good example of that. You can build relationships with people through Twitter um, or LinkedIn that you, you know, that, that, that don't have an in-person component. Um, you can do it through virtual events as well. I'm, I'm not going to say it's anywhere near what it is in person, but, <clears throat> you know, the costs and the effort and the time of in-person uh, sometimes uh, don't, um, you know, outweigh the benefits. Uh, you know, so like I, I, I saw somebody tweeting about this yesterday. They said, you know, how even just one-to-one in-person events seem so uh, ineffective, such an ineffective use of time because like you're traveling there, you're parking, you're finding a spot, you're buying something, you know, you're buying a, you know, a drink and then you're getting back in the car, driving back, like, and maybe the meeting's not even very good. Like, you know, and you, you like, it's just extremely ineffective. And so I think in some ways a, a conference can be the same way. Some of them can be incredible and great in person. And some of them I've, I've been to in-person events where I just like, I didn't really meet anybody and maybe that was, that was my fault. But um, so I think, I think you can get, you know, you, what we do with networking is we bring people together. We facilitate it where we have people sort of in the room with, with a lot of people. And then we link people out and say, Hey, go talk to this person, go talk to this person, talk to this person. So that there's a kind of, there's a there's somebody facilitating it. There's somebody ice breaking it, and and yeah, it's not completely automated and 100% scalable. But I think what we found is like it doesn't need to be to be 
um, really effective. You can, you know, you can go 20 people to one moderator and you can, you know, just facilitate some really interesting conversations that are much better than just being thrown into a room with a random person. Uh, and you're kind of like, who is this? And then, you know, in the browser, you can just, you know, click and leave. And there's nothing that feels worse when somebody just bails on you on a, you know, when you're meeting with a random person and they just like bounce. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, it's not, it's not in person, but you know, that you can get a lot of benefits from that and you can meet great people through that. So you're probably getting some percentage of the value at a fraction of the cost and, and work. So you mentioned you're starting to see, uh, you know, these live events, face-to-face events, you're starting to see it come back. When you think about when we're finally past, you know, the pandemic and we're kind of whatever the, whatever normal is, you know, post pandemic, it is what it is, but what, how do you see, uh, you know, events, the mix of events taking place? Do you see it swinging all the way back to what it was before? Or do you see it uh, kind of like somewhere in the middle or are you seeing like the, uh, just more and more virtual events still taking place? Well, I think the, uh, I mean, probably very obvious to most people, like, I don't think we're ever going to go back to quite the way it was before. Um, you know, hopefully my kids stop using zoom for school, uh, in California for starters. But I, I mean, I think local events are going to come screaming back like the hyper local, smaller events, events in your city, events in your area. Um, you know, people with the same vaccine, uh, you know, people that don't have to get on planes, uh, that, that I think is going to come roaring back. Uh, and, and then the piece that's, that I think is a lot tougher, these bigger conferences with the international travel, you know, um, different vaccine profiles, um, you know, issues at the border, like those, you know, the big CES types of events. Um, I mean, hard, 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 hard to see when that comes back exactly. We have a 10,000 person in uh, in person conference in Silicon Valley every February. Um, I'm not sure when that's coming back in that capacity. Uh, Saster, I saw is going to do they're going to do an event in September all in person, everyone vaccinated, sort of outdoors. I mean, it's brave. It's it's brave to do that. And it'll be a ton, a ton of work. It's going to be hot Um, in September in California. I mean, it's it's nice, but it's going to be hot. Um, so, you know, are you going to stand at a sponsor booth like you used to, you know, crowded around? I don't know about that. So, and I think the other thing that changed is the way people look at events in general. This is, if you're into events, this is maybe interesting. If you're not, this may be more boring, but like it used to be events are like, you have conferences, you have meetups, you have field marketing events, you have like all of these like very clear silos. Now all that stuff's just kind of messed in together. You don't know what is what. And which I think is good for consumers. Like you don't just have to wait once a year for the grand, you know, user conference and they pull out all the stops. Like you don't need it, frankly, like do it three or four times a year, you know, with, with, you know, less work and less money being spent on it. It's that's going to be better, I think for, for most people. So, and, and then you don't need to fly like the hybrid thing. I mean, we have it We're you know, it's in our platform and, and, you know, we're, we're, we're there for people to do virtual and in person in the same event if they want to do it. But um, I, I don't know that like two, three years from now, I don't know that that's really going to be a thing. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, we used to live stream our conferences. I mean, lots of people live stream their conferences. It's really expensive. Um, but if you want to do, if you if you're going to do a full stage in person event and a full stage uh, virtual event, you need two separate teams to do that. Separate speakers. It's two different events to do it right. So you know, there's not everybody's going to be willing to make that effort to do that. I'm I'm so glad you said it's two separate events because. If you try to replicate, like, you know, try to 100% replicate what you do at a 10,000 person event when you probably have, you know, like huge audience, you got people up on stage, you got, you know, you can feel the energy, you can feel that, like, the, the dynamics going on. But if you just try to, you know, port that over, you know, to a virtual event where you can't feel it like you are if you're sitting in the middle of, you know, you know, that kind of number of people and and there's a big stage you're looking up and you're seeing all the lights if you just try to put you know live stream that without really incorporating some of these elements that you need to to keep people who aren't captive at the the venue but are sitting at home with like five different screens around them and if you if you start to get too boring or too long in a sentence or something it's so easy to you know to, to turn to another screen I think that's what's been missing as these uh, these face-to-face events had to go virtual. Now, I have seen a couple lately that are starting to get that cinematic, like they're treating it like a television show as opposed to just, you know, all right, we're just going to live stream what we were going to do with 100,000 people. Mm. I'm starting to see that, but I'm not seeing enough of it. Do you think we'll we'll see more, you know, better use of the virtual platform and getting away from treating the virtual event like it was just a port of you know what we're going to do if we are sitting in an audience of ten thousand people. Yeah, I mean it's it's um, you know look when we used to do our live stream, we have a global community. We have you know millions of people in our community. Two thousand people would watch it, you know, and it would cost so much money because the internet at these venues is so unbelievably expensive, and then you got to have cameras and live streaming piped into that. Like it's so expensive to do it. So I, you know, I I totally agree. Like it doesn't work um, because, you know, and, and, and the other thing is like people don't pre COVID, like nobody wants to sit in front of their, nobody would like, there's no expectation of you sitting in front of your screen and watching a live stream all day, unless it's like something really, really interesting. And that's probably like entertainment or music or something like that. So, or Netflix, much more interesting than uh, startup grind apparently. Um, so I, I mean, I totally agree. Again, it's just, it comes down to cost and it comes down to what you can afford. If it's Dreamforce, Yeah. I mean, they're probably have a full separate team, separate track Salesforce, only virtual events so that everybody at home, you know, yeah, they'll stream the, the keynotes and then they'll have amazing, amazing speakers that are exclusive to virtual and it'll be built for virtual. And, but most most companies aren't Salesforce and, and most companies can't do that. And so like, I mean, for us, like we would, frankly, like we would have ne- before COVID, we would have never used something like Bevy um, with startup grind because, and we hosted our conference in February, right before the pandemic, we were like one of the last events that hosted their in-person event. Thank goodness we got it in and thank goodness it was safe. Um, but, you know, we would have never done what we did with Bevy just because, we're so focused on the in-person now that we just have to make the decision. Do we want to do virtual 
are we willing to like pay for the team to do that? Are we willing to do all the work to have twice as many speakers or however, whatever we're going to need? Um, I mean, we'll do it in some capacity, but yeah, it's going to have to be unique and special. It can't just be ported, uh, you know, from, from in person. You're totally right. Wow. Well, so you talked about, uh, you know, Dreamforce and, you know, the, it's a huge event. It's a very well done event. They got great speakers. They, got, you know, they got a lot of stuff going on. But I think the one thing that they have that a lot of other folks don't have is uh, Lay McGowan hair. So, <laughs> so it was a perfect segue. Perfect segue. So look, she got her trailblazer community shirt on. You got the swag going. That's right. I've been dropping sales for the last three questions. You know, I've been I, know. I noticed. I noticed. Can you hear me? Is my Almost mic okay? Like Oh yeah, we can hear you. We can we can hear you. Can okay, see good. Because sometimes good. it makes me sound good. really awesome. Hello, Derek. <laughs> Hello, Brent. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, and, and you joined at at the perfect time because we had just talked a lot about you know Bevy, you know the platform and the, and the kind of the community behind the platform, and you know all these things. But I wanted to just kind of segue to talk about the other thing that really grabbed my attention about Bevy. And you know what? I want to I'm going to pop up um a little graphic here if I can find it. Cuz I read this great article, I think it was in Fortune about Bevy and you know why you you want it to be an inclusive, diverse company. And but it started out with this it sounds like. Mm. One year ago we had 27 employees and none of them were black and I am super embarrassed about it. I wanted to ask you because a year ago, that was before George Floyd. We haven't quite hit the year anniversary with George Floyd. Yeah. So you were thinking about this before all of that took place. I want to know why you were thinking about it and why you felt embarrassed even before all the stuff with George Floyd was going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, we uh, look, it's part of startup grind. Again, it's sort of all roads lead back to startup grind in my life. Uh, but I mean, we there's so many incredible organizations that we have worked with over the years to support members of the black community, pe people like Street Code, uh, people like Code uh, 2040, um, the you know Thurgood Marshall Foundation. Um, there, there, there are lots of people that that where we have had these conversations about ways that we can make tech more racially inclusive, and. Um, you know, in a startup, I, I'm not making excuses for myself. Like I take full responsibility for this. But in a startup, what I'll say is in the in the earliest days of a startup, you're like you're basically trying to get a dead body off the operating table. And that dead body is your product and into the hands of customers. And, you know, um, you flatlined and, and you're doing everything you can. And I think we to a, to a, a, a to a big fault, um, you know, we weren't looking at all of the things that were going to make our company great, specifically around racial diversity. And so my co-founders and I, we had, you know, talked about this and said, wow, we've got to do so much better than this. We have people inside the company trying to figure out, you know, offer suggestions about what we could do. And then um, on May 25th, uh, when George Floyd was killed, um, you know, my co-founder, <clears throat> I, I was traveling it's my the day after my birthday. And I was traveling and I was in an RV with my family, like trying to stay COVID free and was driving back. And I was thinking about 
the stuff that had been happening that week. And I was like, I was just sort of frustrated with myself. And like, you know, we're, I think we're, we try to be, you know, sort of action oriented people. We're entrepreneurs. Like, you know, we're, we're doers. We're not talkers. Uh, we try to be in, and he called me and he's like, we have to do something. And I said, man, I'm literally thinking about this right as you're, is you're calling me. I'm, this is exactly what I'm thinking about. And we just said to ourselves, like, let's do some, like, what would be something big? Like what is meaningful change look like? And to us, you know, we 13 to 14% of the U S population is black. And we just said, well, what if we got to 20% of the company? I mean, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's just like the number we made up. I was like, that, that would be 13, 14% is the minimum 15%. Um, so what if we got to 20? Um, and so we kind of, we didn't really announce it internally, but we just started working on it. I, I hit LinkedIn and hit Valence and other communities to go find great people, uh, and started just recruiting. And we, we, uh, found some amazing people, brought them in. And then we, uh, we said to the company in September, we said, look, we're going to get to 20% of the, of the company being black. This is why it's important to us. And in the conversations I had with my one of my lead investors, Kobe Fuller, who's um, African-American guy living in L.A., he said, look, what what you're not realizing, Derek, is not only is this going to make, uh, you know, your your company so much better, but it's going to make it so much more valuable because you're pulling from this broader talent base. Uh, you know, you're you're you've got 15 percent of the population you're not even looking at um, and you're going to collectively raise the bar of the talent. You're you're. Company, the companies you work with are going to appreciate it. They're they're going to they're going to be more likely to want to keep working with you. Like there's all these positive business effects around it, and so, um, so yeah. So I mean that's that's what we did. We we were five percent in June of last year. We got to ten percent by September. Uh, we're just over fifteen percent today. Uh, we think we'll get to twenty percent by the summer. Uh, we plan to do it in about. We I didn't know how long it would take. I thought maybe it could take two years, but you know, we're going to do it in the first year and then we'll keep doing other things. Um, but but that's that's sort of the the genesis of like what we wanted to do around racial racial inclusivity. Uh, and and then with our funding round, uh, you know, we, we decided what well, we're doing this for our employee base. We should do it with our investors as well. Why not? And that's where a lot of wealth gets created. Right. In, in these startups, it's, it's with the investors. I mean, they they sort of have the tables stacked in their favor. Uh, and so in this case, like, you know, this is a, a good reason to have investors. Sometimes, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you know, at least for me, like I, I, I mean, you try to minimize solution and you try to, you know, keep control as much as you can. But, um, you know, we said, hey, let's let's take 20 percent of this round. Let's have it be led by, um, you know, black uh, investors. And and so we added about 30 investors, including uh, Leah, who's here. And we're so grateful for her participating in that. But. 30 absolutely amazing, amazing people, people I've looked to, some I've looked to up to my whole life. Others I've just met and now are like my heroes uh, because I know what they've done and I wasn't aware of, of, of some of some of these people before we started reaching out. And um, and so that's that's, you know, that's kind of what we kind of try to do at our employee base. We try to do it at our investor base and, and really try to create wealth for the black community and then create just a, what a what a racially inclusive company should look like. Uh, and, and I think we're we're not the first to do this, but we're sort of on the cusp. And I think every company in the future is going to do what we're doing. I don't think there's anything 
proprietary about this. Everyone's going to do the same thing. No, I think it's great. You did. We. I, I want to just go back to say that was just a year ago. <laughs> you came a very long way in a very short amount of time. And I think I saw where 60 percent of that, that recent investment round were black investors. Right. Yeah. Even more than that. Yep. Even more. That's great. And we we actually have one with us right now. So why don't we why don't we ask Leia? Leia, I mean, you know, you you come from Salesforce, who is traditionally they are one of the leaders in this area of inclusion, inclusion and diversity. And what was it that got your attention about Bevy and, you know, and wanted to invest in Bevy? Because I, I think I, I saw you on a live stream where you mentioned that this was the first time you did an angel investment. And so I'm curious, why did you want to go with Bevy? Did that, did you see some similarities in what they were, how they were approaching inclusion and diversity and what you've seen at Salesforce? And did that play any role in this? Um, well, I mean, first of all, if you just heard Derek's answer, who wouldn't want to be a part of that, that <laughs> movement, right? Uh, you know, clearly this was on their trajectory as a company long before the, the George Floyd murder. Uh, and when the George Floyd murder happened, you had all these companies, you know, tweeting and posting and we're about change and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Um, and, you know, there were very few that were being about it outside of tweeting about it. Right. And to see Bevy be actionable and meaningful action. I mean, if you just heard what, what Derek said, I mean, if we dissected just what he said, it started with the employee base. And it could have stopped there, right? And still been, you know, impactful. But as we know, well, and as I've recently learned, because I was invited to take a class called Black Ventures by Black Ventures Institute, learning about um, venture capitalism and, and, and all the, the wealth and opportunities there, it was like, it was like, you know, uh, Alice in Wonderland, you opened a whole nother door and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know all this was back there. So then it brings up a whole nother world of, you know, opportunities that, that I did not know about. And so, you know, all things happen as they're meant to, because I took that course like in, I can't even remember, Lord, age kicking in, back in like November, December. And then, so I was you know, empowered with all of this knowledge. And then this opportunity came to me from Derek to be an investor in Bevy. And at this point I was powered with knowledge. I was prepared. So I was like, oh, I know what this means. What round series is this in? And you know, who, how many investors? And I, I could understand it. Whereas if that opportunity had come to me prior to me being, um, you know, powered with knowledge, I, I don't know that I would have taken it. So I think for me, what was really appealing about the opportunity was that one, I highly believe in the product. I knew the product. I work with the product. I'm a customer of the product. And I really uh, was fascinated and impressed with how they quickly pivoted during COVID to offer the virtual platform to keep conferences because we needed to be able to offer our community something to allow them to stay connected in a very disconnecting time, right? And so that's what that platform allowed out us to do. And then beyond the platform was the people, you know, just the people, not just the employees, but the investors and the board. Like it's it's like a whole jambalaya of just goodness. And you know, being able to have the opportunity to be a part of that just seemed like a no-brainer to me. So 
Wow, there it is. Like the right choice for the first time. For like, this is my first one. Let's this it just feel like such a good fit. I, I think you just came up with a new tagline for Bevy. Uh, Bevy, a whole jambalaya of goodness. You know, <laughs> I'm all about food. Anything with food. <laughs> So, Derek, uh, what what have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned through this experience? Because it, it sounds like this was a first. You guys made the decision, and then you did it. Uh, what were some of the big takeaways from this experience? And and how do you follow up? How do you kind of progress after this first year? Yeah, I mean, uh, the 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 biggest thing for me is like I'm so energized and excited about this aspect of what we're doing in terms of building a company. Um, it is like, it's, it's the most, if it's not the most exciting thing I've worked on, um, it, it's one of the most exciting things I've worked on, uh, you know, of, of just, um, you know, just, just really going out and I mean, in so, some ways, like things, plat, most platforms, you know, um, how do I say this in a way that all, all of the wonderful companies that I work with, not get upset with me. Um, you know, what, what I've learned about um, being a black professional uh, is that the, the platforms, the system, um, it is in many ways stacked against these incredible people. And I have so many stories about like, we, we, I'll share one story of one person that I met. We, we found this um, incredible um, African-American woman um, who was working at Cheesecake Factory. And we're looking at her resume, and she was the captain of her basketball team um, in college. And her, she, her brother is in the NFL. Like, this is a family that comes from excellence. You know, this is a family that understands excellence. And she did incredibly well in college. And and I was talking to her. I'm like, why are you working at Cheesecake Factory? She's like, I just haven't been able to get an opportunity. And and I, you know, as I have as I have talked with a lot of black professionals and, um, you know, uh, it, I, I have just seen over and over again that, um, you know, that there needs to be people opening more doors. We need to be shining more light on the incredible things that. Um, people from this community can do uh, for specifically for tech companies, uh, which is as James Lowry calls it, is like the the last uh, great uh, opportunity to to build wealth um, and and sort of the the the, the last uh, uh, you know revolution of wealth creation. Um, and and so you know what I've seen is as these people come into our company is just the contribution that they have made is in some ways uh, greater than, than anyone we've ever hired. And so, um, you know, so I, I think, um, you know, trying to shine a light on that, trying to, again, I, we're sort of in the bottom of the first inning um, of what we think we, we can do and should do. And, you know, frankly, like the thing that makes me, uh, and, and Kobe said this to me last year, he's like, just go do it. Don't talk about it. Don't tell anyone. Just, you know, you just go do, see how you go, you know? And, um, <laughs> you know, we're kind of out there now. So we, you know, can we retain these great people? Can we create careers for them? Can we create place, place for them to thrive? That's, that's our, we have to prove that, um, you know, and, and is it just talk? Is it just marketing or is it real? Um, to me, it's, it's very real, but we, we have so much to do so many more steps to go. 
I don't know exactly what all those steps are, but we're going to get to the 20 percent. Um, we're going to keep diversifying our leadership team and our uh, our our board. Uh, and and then when we get to that point, we'll kind of look up and say, OK, what's next? And try to set another audacious goal. And um, and we still have to maintain those other things, too, as we keep going. So just kind of adding to that. But I hope I mean, our my our sort of internal goal is to be the most racially diverse company in tech. And I don't exactly know what that means, to be honest, but I'm, I say it because I hope people reach out to me and say, hey, you're not even close. you got to do this, this, this. And that, that, that'll help me to figure out how to do that. But that's that's sort of our goal. And I think in the future, the future way companies are going to be built, that's not even going to be a consideration to be that. Like It will just be like that. But we have to go create that. And as a company that's gone from 27 to 120 people in just over a year, um, and as we hope to double that again in the next nine months, um, you know, keeping pace with that and growing, making that a key part of our growth, um, again, is empowering to us as a team that's trying to build a, a, a good culture and, and somewhere that people want to work, but also like it's making our company much more valuable. So if you're a capitalist, a capitalist, or if you're, you know, uh, an altruist, uh, you know, hopefully you can find somewhere there that that um, gets you excited to, to be part of that. Can I add, Brent, in what Derek is saying, too, and I think I really admire the approach. It isn't this um, I'm going to go in and save the savior mentality, but really figuring out how can we partner and bring the excellence that's there to light. Right. And it's and it's not a matter of. And knowing that it is a benefit for him and and Bevy to bring in these diverse talent, and that it's going to help their business grow in a more uh, holistic way, right? So it's not just about the money, but it's also going to have an impact, and it's going to be an inspiration, and all these different levels of it. So it's multifaceted. And the biggest thing is like, I'm I'm going to be the great white hope and save everybody. It's like, I need to understand this so that I can make an impactful decision that's going to be mutually beneficial to, to all those at the table. And I think um, I think that's very important in being an ally, but also understanding it is also your problem. Like it is everybody's problem. If one is down, we're all down. And how do we work to rectify this in a way that is a holistic approach. So, you know, I, that's another piece that's really um, appealing to me. Uh, I think it's great. And you both said it. I don't know what else I could say, except I think being in the, the industry that you're in, you know, you're in one of the hottest growth areas when it comes to these virtual events and the fact that you're succeeding in, and part of that success, you know, I've seen, you know, the money you raised and the market cap valuation, but what's cool about it is, you know, you're in a hot area, a hot technical area, and you have already infused, uh, you know, equality and inclusion into it, and it's yes. still growing. It's growing quickly. So exactly. it, it also kind of builds a case study on, hey, this is not a charity thing. This is not exactly. just a, this is, you know, we're doing this first business first, and we build in our business on a, on a foundation of inclusion and equality that feeds the growth of the company anyway. So I think 
all in all, it's a, I think you had a pretty good first year, Derek. <laughs> you know, Thank black you. eye aside, I think you've had a pretty good first year. <laughs> and you, so, if you don't notice, he has to be intentional about that. He has this yeah. doesn't just happen. Like I want diversity. Like you have to be intentional. You have right. to take action, and to you don't have to know all the answers, but you've got to take action to start learning and growing and asking questions and being humble enough to listen, 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 and hear different answers and try different things. So I think, I think he's, I think you know, Derek is writing whether he agrees or not is writing the playbook of how to do it, right? So. Well, and it doesn't matter. You don't have to be the CEO. Like you can be a manager and you can do that inside of your own team. And, you know, I think uh, people have asked me like, well, where do I start? I say, well, if, if you're the CEO, you can go talk to the, the hiring leads and you can get on their team and become the number one recruiter and go, go, just go do some work. Like it's not, it's not rocket surgery, you know, to just to make yeah. some effort to start and, you know, and then again, I think as people do it, they will feel what I have felt from it, which is just incredible power. And by the way, like see a company uh, that that is growing and, you know, benefiting financially, dramatically financially from 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 this strategy, uh, which which and for us started as conversations, but then became sort of board level uh, KPI for us. Um, but uh, make no mistake, like I, the the growth that we've seen with the company to me and my co-founders, we see it directly tied to um, the efforts that we've made to make our company more diverse. Absolutely. I don't know what else there is to say. This has been great. I want to be mindful of both of your times, but I really appreciate for you know hearing both sides of the bevy story because you know it is a business and, and you're in a, in a hot tech space and you it, that has to be central. But it's also a, a part of the business to be inclusive and you know diverse right from the beginning, and it's it seems to be paying off uh, for everybody involved, and I think that's great. And I, will, I, I look forward to seeing what happens, you know, a year, two years, five years from now. Uh, I'm assuming that you know the growth will continue because I, your the virtual events and the hybrid events. Come on, man, you, you you're in a great position, and it's great to see you having a team of investors and advisors that looks more like the country than traditional tech companies do. I think you're right. I think uh, Leah's right. I think you're, you're writing the blueprint. You know, you maybe have to do some erasing every now and again, you know, you got the pencil out. It's not in pen yet, but that's part of the process. That's part of like building a business. This, you're building a, a business on diversity. That's, you know, you're, you're writing it as, as, uh, as it goes. And I think that's pretty exciting. And so far, I think you guys have done a great job and I look forward to seeing how, how it, uh, you know, progresses. So thank you all. And I would love to be able to see you guys at an event at some point. Dream for Dream for Yeah. Well, we're, I'm not even going to ask Leigh about, you know, what those plans are. Cause I'm sure there are some serious plans going on for whatever that looks like. Stay tuned. But stay tuned. All right. Well, thank you both. Uh, Derek. Thank CEO, you for Co-founder for Bevy. And, that's my buddy, you know, I'll just tell a quick story. Yeah, I've seen her speak on you know, several uh, a Dreamforce stage at this point, but still my favorite Leia moment is when we were sitting and you were playing the piano and we had our own little conversation. Oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that's, that. That's still my favorite. <laughs> I know. I, I've I, watched I it. It's good content. 
It was fun. That was fun. I, I, I think I was all over the place. Get me to talking. All right. Thanks again, folks. And hey, thank you. Hey, Brent, the one thing, the one thing is if we ever do this again, um, this was great. The only problem I had is could we get you a Bucks jacket, maybe? I mean, oh, I think no. you'd look a lot better yeah. in a Tampa Bay Gee. Bucks. Um, See, I was trying to end on a high note, man. Um, See? I mean, you, know, you, know, you know we're the world champs, right? You know we have Tom Brady. I don't know if you heard that Tom Brady is on the Bucks now. but All right. So, um, all right. You're going to make me have to come is out. Is this recorded? This. You can edit all that out, right? Well, so, certain of these things will never be heard again. Um, <laughs> I have no problem with the Bucks. Matter of fact, I love the Bucks because I'm a Rams fan, as maybe somebody would tell when I'm wearing stuff. And the very first time the Rams went to the Super Bowl, who did they beat in the NFC Championship game? <laughs> the Bucks, nine to zero. Uh, we won the Super Bowl in 1999. Who did we beat in the NFC Championship game to get to the Super Bowl? Only the Bucks. Bucks. <laughs> That's right. Really so, I, so I really, <laughs> I had no problem with the Bucks until they got their current quarterback because I hate the Patriots. And Bob Fagel out there knows what I'm talking about. Can't stand them. And guess what you have to go and do? Get Tom Brady and win a Super Bowl. Let's leave it at that. So Everybody. thanks for bringing this bad taste into my mouth after this really great conversation. No, I'm seeing the side of Brent. That's like, <laughs> no, you, I think you need yeah. to talk to somebody about this. You, this is pretty serious. It is it's serious. pretty serious. Thanks for triggering that, Derek. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Thank on that so note, folks, no, it all right. has been great. Thank you so much. I will see you guys next time. I'm doing a like stream, LinkedIn Live. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you again. Take care, guys. Bye bye.